You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Singapore, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Radish and I head growth marketing in Singapore, and today I'm your host. Today I'm joined by none other than Vehan Patel, who is the CEO of Splore, a very, very interesting startup, and we're going to be discussing the future of search. Before we get into the actual conversation here, Vihan, would you like to introduce yourself and explore a little bit further? Yeah, thank you, Daesh, for the new podcast. Um, a quick, quick background by myself. Uh, been in, uh, I've been building companies in data and AI for the past uh, 15 years uh, around the world and uh, particularly the past 10 years in Singapore. Uh, I've looked at different elements of AI. I've I've looked at it from a technical standpoint, being a CTO. I've looked at it as a founder uh, in an enterprise space as well as in in social and B2C uh, context as well. A year and a half ago, I joined uh, the uh, Manyala team at Temasek to help them build uh, the new venture, specifically looking at virtual worlds and the whole thesis around how metaverses are going to evolve. So Splore kind of originated from from that core thesis, where we were looking at what are the next generation of users and what are their core aspirational needs when it comes to looking for information, uh, not only in the, from a web or a tech standpoint, but also potentially in the new worlds, especially in virtual worlds or AR and VR. Uh, so at the core of it, Splore is actually a search and discovery platform uh, focused primarily or driven by the needs of the gamer. And we use um, not only data that is on the public web, but in a permissioned way, we allow private wall garden data, multimodal data to be indexed into our platform as well. Uh, on top of it, we also understand the emerging need that the world is not divided between wrong and right, true or false. There are lots of shades of gray in between. There are a lot of opinions. And it's important for these opinions to stand out. But a lot of these opinions and information are not necessarily in 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 forms and shape that regular engines can actually index. These are hidden sometimes in communities. And these contexts are driven by users' own preferences and own biases. So Splore is able to look at data and ranking in a very unique way that allows us to bring in those community contexts into the search results as well and discovery results as we actually bring the information in front of the users. So yeah, so that's a very high level uh, kind of an intro to Splore and uh, hoping I can I can share a little bit more as we go along. Okay, cool. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about how this venture actually came about? Yeah, so as I mentioned that we were looking at the space around uh, virtual worlds. Virtual worlds are, um, are um, as, as, the, as the word, as, as, uh, um, as the word says, um, virtual worlds are spaces where um, individual users can actually spend time online and explore uh, new avenues and new facets. I think um, while uh, this came to more fruition in the past few years with virtual reality becoming more uh, more prominent, however, virtual worlds have existed for a long time. For example, uh, Second Life is uh, almost a 13, 14 year old virtual world, which actually has existed since 2001. Uh, and same way, there are games that have been um, have been prominent uh, in this particular area, like Epic Online or Eve Online. Uh, and then uh, Roblox, which is a very prominent game, uh, one of the fastest growing virtual worlds out there, Minecraft. And what one of the interesting facets is that as 
um, as individuals, um, we all, well, there's an element of our lives where we, uh, where we work, we spend time creating value for customers, building as part of a corporate there is an um there is a uh, lifestyle element to all of us right and our lifestyle choices are, are varied so it could be people like reading books you could like movies you could like music and um and, and um in the past few years one of the prominent lifestyle that has happened is where people are interacting not only on uh, on their uh mechanic mediums but also in more immersive mediums uh, and and this is a more um, a broader word in a broader sense. Uh, let's uh, categorize as virtual worlds. Now, virtual worlds, people not um, traditionally it was primarily focused on gaming, but in the past few years, you have seen um, uh, tech companies are trying to break that barrier and allow for a lot more interaction beyond even gaming to happen in the virtual worlds. So we were thinking about this particular space, and let's say in five to ten years, this becomes a very dominant reality. A lot of things need to happen for this, and especially hardware needs to be more accessible, devices need to be more performant. Uh, but we are already seeing bits and pieces of this with with Oculus Quest Three uh, being very very promising, and then of course uh, Apple coming out with its own VR device uh, next year. We're seeing a lot of thrust in the space already going forward, and what we had. What we were thinking about was, uh, we were trying to figure out was, now given so much content is already offline or, or, or on the internet uh, and is growing, um, and of course there are mediums or mechanisms to search for content like this, like Google is a good example or Bing is an, another example, um, those same medium are not necessarily accessible as easily in the virtual worlds, right? Due to limitations, like for example, there is no keyboard in the traditional sense, right? So how do you search for queries? Uh, so that means a lot of it is voice-driven, but voice-driven uh, search is very different and sometimes can be a little uh, restricting compared to a text-driven search where you have a medium to interact with. Also, there is a lot of different contexts involved, right? Where in the virtual world, you're present, you're located in some location in the virtual world, and then you have search related to that virtual world area. How do you actually bring all this contextual information regarding the place where you're in the virtual world, uh, the context of what you're searching for, as well as making it easy for the users to search all in that particular medium? So this was kind of like a, let's just call it uh, a more North Star-ish, um, blue sky vision of a problem that we were anticipating. But bringing it down to today's world, right, and bringing it down to the ground reality, what does it mean uh, for, for the users today? Think about it. Uh, if you look at if you look at the, one of the most uh, active users in the virtual worlds are gamers. Gamers have been um, you, uh, have been spending enormous amount of time in the virtual worlds, and um, and gamers as a definition itself is pretty broad. So let's talk about gamers who actually actively spend more than six to seven hours a week, which is no different from you watching a movie. No different from you reading a book, right? Or uh, spending another time on some other entertainment media. So let's call it non-casual gamers. So globally, uh, there are 1.5 billion non-casual gamers today. It means that's the audience said that actually appreciates immersive media, appreciates uh, multimodal content, and is actually spending a lot of time not only in, um, spending in these games, but also looking for information around these games. 
So what we were trying to look at and uh, look at is that what are their problems today? Because uh, the virtual world problems will primarily emanate from problems of these gamers, and that's how Splur started coming around. When we started looking at the problems and the needs of these gamers, which today are searching for elements in the virtual worlds or gaming or even broadly. Could be a hardware, could be the latest mouse, for example, um, their favorite mouse. How do they actually go about looking for that information, including finding opinions, looking for the right kind of device that suits their own need? And we find that their, that particular area is, is kind of not very well solved. And the reason for this is because uh, when you look at a general horizontal search engine like Google, or Bing, they're trying to solve everyone's problem. They're trying to solve 7 billion people's problem. And when you try to solve 7 billion people's problem, you have to, you always compromise somewhere. You try to make it as simple as possible. You make it the most accessible way, but then you miss a lot of depth. That's why you have specialized tools. So when you look at, if you are a, a, a persona, if you're a user with very specific needs, and if there is a search engine or search technology that can meet your specific needs, there's obviously a preference to use that tool versus using a more generic tool. And that's what Splur really does. Splur understands the needs of these gamers in understands where the data is, where do we actually extract this data. We also understand the need that a lot of this data is in communities which are not necessarily indexed by by your public search engines. How do we actually make it accessible? How do we make it more discoverable? And of course, semantically making sense for this particular audience. And that's what that's how Splore can start coming around in a very organic manner, kind of lose, uh, understanding the user's needs, understanding the transition that's happening in the world, and then figuring out what is it needed today to meet the needs of this particular user. Okay, so obviously you mentioned quite a bit in terms of the niche and the target audience being obviously your gamers, right? Whether they are casual or non-casual gamers. Um, now, my question here, before we get into, into the next talking point really is, when you target th this, this sector, this audience specifically, are you looking to make a shift in terms of how they actually search for this using a traditional, I guess, um, search function? Or is it taking things and evolving it to creating your own and then trying to scale that out? Yeah, that's a good, good, good question. So, um, we generally it's very hard to shift habits. It's very hard for people to change ingrained behaviors. But what is interesting is that every now and then you see people doing very interesting things subconsciously, right? Like I'll give you an example for this. <clears throat> when you when you when you talk to when we talk to our users when we interview them, and actually just personally in my own experience. A lot of the questions that I have, I tend to, uh, I I know for a fact I'm going to get a good answer from maybe a Reddit, but I don't go to Reddit to search for it. I go to Google or a search engine and I put Reddit and then I search for that key term. And this is a not um, one-off behavior. This is actually a behavior that if you actually look up on Twitter and Google, people will be like, why am I doing this all the time, right? And the, the fundamental challenge is, of course, when you look at platforms like Reddit, they're inherently there to uh, as a, as a forum mechanism or as a as a, a mechanism to create a conducive environment to have discussions around topics, uh, and search is not necessarily their core focus. And of course, uh, Google has its own challenges, but of course, if it's just trying to search on one particular platform, they do a good job. So people inherently kind of use that mechanism. But if you take a step back and look at what are the core problems is that uh, today the search itself 
for a certain segment of the or our users or certain needs of the users are 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 a kind of not meeting their expectations right that's why people are uh let's just kind of say hacking their way to find some solution which is not a bad thing which i think is till till some hacks work then there's still no need for a new solution but inherently more and more there's still gaps which is people don't find the answers then they have to navigate to discord they have to navigate to tg sometimes they have to navigate to other platforms and there's a whole lot of uh let's just say jumping around that happens between different platforms and that's when you know search is broken that's when you know that inherently there's a gap and that's what we are trying to do we're trying to come up and fill that particular gap where you don't need to necessarily go through so many different platform which was what the original promise of web was which was the original promise of a search engine was however we are living in a very fragmented world right and and this is a very interesting um discussion that i had i was listening to uh, a few weeks ago which was on uh, the thesis around the public web right and there is a there is a prominent uh, proponents out there who are saying that the public web is dying and and the reason is they're saying is that a lot of have two two fundamental phenomena right like the large giants including to some extent reddit is trying to own the data right so there's a wall garden created today you can't go to a medium article without clicking on a login or a paywall right which wasn't the case like few years ago you could actually browse anything on the internet without having to log in you could just freely get in get out right and that's if you that's noticeably changed right and a lot of that information is getting moved into what i would call wall gardens the second thing is uh, the acceleration in the last one one and a half year on ai hasn't helped the cause everyone's very scared they're like oh what's going to happen to my data someone's going to come in take all my data and not send me the traffic so effectively what's happening is that you have one there's more lot more consolidation or uh, 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 um, platformization happening around content and that there is of course now a new threat coming in around uh, my data right and i want to make sure that i am in control of my data what this effectively means is that a lot of the traditional mechanism to search and index is going to start having a challenge and this is the interesting thing is this has always been there in gaming because gaming has always been hyper fragmented it, the, the kind of information you have and and it's very opinion driven right how do i kill uh, xxx boss from a game for example or how do i actually clear this level there are different ways to build the cat right and then people like to see different opinions rather than get a one answer to it so this has created a very interesting phenomena where search is not about questions and answers which is what google and bing tried to do for 20 years but uh, but search is now about discovery uh, search needs personalization search needs lot more information of the context which was not a necessity when the web was simpler right when there was not so many different participant or new agents acting on the web and that's where we think that uh, a new opportunity or new uh, requirement or need for the users are coming up now of course we are talking about it from a gamer standpoint but if you think about it generally that that's also necessarily true for a lot of other use cases as well would you say that it's i get it it's fair to argue that to some degree the way that search may need to or should evolve in a sense would be fairly similar to algorithms used on social media say for example your instagram your tiktok where it's it's like you said it's a lot more personalized right you start seeing the things that you want to see the things that interest you a lot more when you're searching for it there should be i guess a lot more relevancy in terms of the personalization that's put in 
as opposed to, like you said, appealing a bit more to the mass audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, funny thing is, Radesh, if, if 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 any of my team member hears your question, they would think that this is scripted, because uh, <laughs> because that's the exact uh, train of thought that uh, internally when we research, we see coming up again and again. Now I'll give you a good right. example and uh, a good analogy or a good um, a representation of your question. Right, a good representation of your question would be seen in TikTok. TikTok's search queries have gone through the roof. As a matter of fact, TikTok realized this and actually built a search feature in TikTok. So actually, if you notice, TikTok actually has a search feature. It actually sends you suggestions for doing searches on a TikTok video now. It actually takes you to a search result in TikTok, right? And and why do people search on TikTok, right? I think one is, of course, convenience. They're there. They're spending a lot of time, so that you have to give it to them. But I think more importantly is that they implicitly start believing that TikTok knows them very well, their taste, right? And um, the content is multimodal, so it's easier to consume than reading long forms. And uh, sometimes that content can be entertaining while actually informing. I think, and that's the that's the need, that's the taste, that's what they really want, right? And and TikTok is able to solve gap right very well. So that is one example, but it, that's not the only medium that's noticeable. And that's also true for YouTube as well. Like I, I personally actually, when I when there's a new game, I actually don't like to read. I like to just go to YouTube, look for the video, uh, and some. Uh, if 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 there's somebody who I who I recognize is talking about it, I would sit down and actually watch the video rather than actually read yeah. the game intro. Right, and this is a very normal natural behavior, right? And that's not just true for gaming; it's true for makeups, it's true for e-commerce items, unboxing items, things like that, right? So this is this is an is it's becoming a a uh, a need more than uh, more than uh, just a, a a simple hack or a convenience, right? So it's moving from convenience to actually becoming a more uh, a dominant way for people to actually retrieve or find information. So that's that. right. so. When, if you think about how it starts, it starts by actually creating the trust with you through the feed. You have started yes. trusting them because you have seen their feed being more and more relevant. So implicitly be, believe that their answer should also be more relevant, right? Based on taste, and that's why the two things are very closely linked together. Which is why Explore is a search and discovery platform. Feed is a very integral part of a technology platform. As a matter of fact. We, are, we actually start by personalization of the feeds and then we actually give you more relevant results as we actually start um, uh, uh, surfacing more content to you. And this is, you will see more and more of this happening in the next stage of, you know, evolution in search. Right. And then I guess, again, well, I, I won't even mind if we don't cover a lot of these points that I've got noted here. Yeah. But to follow on from that, you mentioned, for example, that there's a lot of big players out there, your, your obvious ones, your Google, Bing, Yahoo, whatever it might be. What do you think their reason is for not incorporating this essence or this sense of personalization and relevancy on, on a scale that it suits for everybody as opposed to the mass audience? Because at the end of the day, when you look at it, all these platforms also have their own wall garden like you say right like they, they have a, a login that you need like for example google will have its own login bing will have microsoft and so on right surely with the amount of data they collect already through whatever we do end up searching it should be a feature that is inherently already added in without us even knowing why yeah. is that not there yet you think why is, is it left to other companies to do this so i i 
think they do have it to to some extent right uh, of course i think it's the the extent to which they have it is different right um uh social media platforms versus a google right Let, let's look at it in simple sense let's look at and and this and you have to start about we have to look at things in a in a larger horizon sometimes to understand these shifts rather than a point in time right right if still the horizon let's take search engines right till 4 years ago search engine actually had no login requirements even today technically you don't need to log in right you don't yes and and the simple thesis was and google's thesis for the longest time till 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 2 years ago their big their core kpi was uh you come in and you get out google asap essentially give you the uh, the answer the right answer at the top you find the answer and you get out right they actually measure themselves by the time you spend on the page because if you spend long time and you're not finding your right answer that means they're not doing a good job and hence you know you're bouncing right so so inherently um while there was user tracking there's always been user tracking but it was still to a level where it was at a certain segment or at a broader base like for example they would know what users in singapore search for and what are what are their search criteria but they may not know who ritesh is right or who we hung is right and then how do you personalize to that level so that's and 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 to to an extent to give them credit is that the 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 country searches have have improved quite a lot right like when you search in singapore versus when you search in 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 us it's actually very different search results yeah and at that level of contextualization has been present right and and they do a good job at it but inherently they were made to optimize inversely for time spent on site right but as social media platforms are optimized for the in uh, for higher time on site right that means they want you to spend a lot of time with them and inherently what you do is you actually consume a lot more content for them than you do on a search result yeah and because the amount of content that you are consuming from them in terms of just number of sheer number of questions or queries you're doing they have or media platforms like tiktok and create a much more diverse profile about yourself than a google or a bing can right now of course all of them want to actually start personalizing so uh if you go to for example uh i was uh, uh i was in europe last month and um google of course is a combination of eu regulations plus google it has a very nasty thing where you actually see a lot of login prompts and uh of and of course the gdpr prompts it become very unmeaningful if you're doing an anonymous use google's going to great extend to try and capture who you are right and and but it's hard right for because they've created this behavior over 23 years that you just come in you go out you don't need to worry about anything so they have to get really smart around how to capture that kind of level of data from you to be able to personalize right and i think that's that's really the fundamental challenge right which is it's a different medium and people consume that medium very differently you don't want to linger around on google right but you don't mind lingering around on tiktok and that's it and that makes a huge difference in platform now google cannot become tiktok However, they're trying. Like, if you see Google in India recently released a feed. Now, to me, it's almost like going back twenty years when Yahoo was a portal, and you had you had you had weather, and you had news reports, and you had scores, and then everything, and then you had a bar with the search for yeah. a search. It's actually going back to 
it's rewinding 2022 years back, right? Which is they're testing this in India. So they clearly see the sign that, all right, okay, all right, the, the world has moved and it's no more about getting people in and out. And of course, the search results of Google are also almost like social media results of Facebook, if you look at it. They're like uh, the top fold is all advertisements. And then you have one search result. And then you have to scroll down to actually get other results, right? So so it's it's I think they heed it, they understand it, but it's uh, going to be a hard shift for them. Again, they want to serve 7 billion people, right? Uh, whereas TikTok doesn't care about them. TikTok cares about Gen Zs, Gen Alphas, and few people, um, you know, in the uh, other bracket who don't mind consuming content uh, in that form and shape. So it's all about focus, which is where the challenge happens. Okay. And now let's let's go into, I guess, a bit more of the, uh, of the main topic here now, right? Um, the first question, a little bit more of a generic one, just to ease things in. What is the information overload? Why is it becoming increasingly challenging for individuals and businesses to manage in that digital age as well? Um, yeah, I think information overload. Um, let me let me put it in a very um, in a more um, in a high level. I think everyone is aware of it. But um, there's a very wise man who's, who's, who said once. I, I read this somewhere. Said that uh, a human brain cannot make more than ten important decisions in a day, right? Maybe twelve at most. And that means there's a limitation to our cognitive processing capacity. And yeah. uh, and um, more and more of us have become knowledge workers. And um, to scale our, our um, let's just say, not just our abilities, but also uh, our output, we try to make more decisions in a day. And to make more decisions, we need to consume more information. And that just is a pretty ugly cycle right as you can you you can see where i'm going um so that's becoming more and more difficult right as our in our society shifts to become becoming more knowledge worker oriented so that's one part of it the second part of it is of course that we're just bombarded right with so much content there's just content everywhere right there's content on your watch there's a content on your phone of course uh you see it on tv and this and it's not the same content, right? It's not like you're watching 60 minutes uh, three times or or you're watching the same show again, right? This is all different content, right? And as I said, right, there's just so much the brain can really process at any point in time. But at the same time, you're consuming all of this and some of this is entertaining. So you're still pushing your limits to kind of process the information, which creates, of course, hard lot of cognitive uh, issues with it right then the other element of it is um how how this is uh let's just say um influencing uh the businesses and how we actually do business itself right like if if you are for example like um like uh, both businesses yours and mine are dependent on us being able to talk to our users or talk to our customers, not only um, not only in mediums in 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 a traditional form like like over emails, but also on other uh, media platforms or social media platforms like LinkedIn, for example. And there, it is a whole other host of complexity you have to navigate to figure out how to actually talk to the users. So the world is becoming complex in general. Each of, each of these platform itself is. A whole different knowledge graph to to conquer and to understand itself, and that's quite a lot of work, right? And I think that is the key, uh, you know. I guess uh, 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 
I would say that is becoming one of the key bottlenecks uh, for people to actually keep on top of. There's just a day-to-day work itself. I think that's how I would probably categorize uh, uh, information overload and the complexity. Okay, great. And if we take things a little bit further into how search experience moves, right? Using all of that. And we tr- let's, let's try to keep it as, as, a, as a bit of a high level as well, because there will be a few follow-ups that will come with this, I'm sure. And we're going to be looking a lot more into, you know, artificial intelligence or machine learning technologies. How do these specifically reshape the search experience for a user? You know, there, there's all sorts of things that go into it now. You know, you got your LLMs, you got your NLP, you got transformer models. Yeah. How does it work? So I think, um, you know, whenever whenever I see product and technologies, I always see them as kind of like a, a seesaw mechanism, right? Uh, or, or users and technologies, right? And what I mean by seesaw is one is always leading ahead of the other at some point and then someone is looking behind, right? So I think um, search technologies long time ago were leading ahead. Uh, like and, and again, going back to companies like Google, for example, uh, they actually... Uh, um, by 2003 to 2004, um, uh, they had become quite um, apt at what they were doing in the sense that they had access to so much information that um, it met most users' needs. Let's just put it this way, right? And then at the same time, the amount of content on the internet was growing to the point that 2011, 2012, you could see that, well, you, you just couldn't imagine a world where you'd need anything except Google, right? And where at some point in time, Googling be- became like a, job term or I'm good at doing it, right? So kind of a context and medium. And then, of course, the needs of the users move, moved ahead. People became more advanced, became more smarter. People said, nope, I'm I'm moving up the the, the learning curve and then I can actually I need a lot more. And their technology then was lagging for a certain period of time, right? And you could see that very evidently happening. And then in the past four, five years, six years, of course, um, uh, two two key advancements that I would say that has uh, or maybe three advancements that I would want to highlight that has actually uh, helped uh, bring in a, a big transition. I think number one is uh, the vectoral database systems. They're not new. They have been there for about 10, 11 years. One of the early prominence of bringing that vectoral database system was actually Yahoo. Yahoo r and did a great job at bringing it forward, but it's been there. Uh, but what was the challenge of vectoral database systems at, and why they were not adopted was because uh, they were consuming a lot of uh, compute power and they slowed it, slowed things down. Um, so GPU-based systems really helped accelerate that, right? So now GPUs have become more, um, let's just say they're not, they're not cheap yet, but they still become a lot more accessible and cost-effective to the point that you can run these complex systems, especially vectoral retrieval systems on it. And the third thing, that has helped uh, after GPU uh, was, of course, the transform models, right? The whole change from looking at um, uh, natural language processing from what we call um, STM model to an NTM model, a transformer model. I think that's been a huge shift in in uh, in, uh, in the way people process and consume this content itself. Um, now, of course, this the the transform model was also aided primarily by GPUs. If they didn't exist, there was there was no way we could upscale transform models to this point. But when you take the vectoral retrieval systems and the transform models together, and uh, what you actually see is a, a brilliant assimilation where when when you look at a traditional search and a traditional search result, where you have to go through every single information 
and figure out what is relevant and consume that, that entire journey can be dramatically be shortened. Because now you can, leveraging both of these technologies, you can actually bring forward a lot of information in a more crisp, summarized manner, which reduces the time or amount of information a user has to consume before they can make a decision. Right? And that's very important because now if you have shortened not only the time to make decision, but the amount of information you need to consume to make that decision. Right, And both of this has a dramatic positive impact on not just uh, not just you know end users and how we consume, but society in general. So I think that is dramatically shaping search, right? And that's also going to actually uh, shape a lot of other areas besides search technology itself, right? I I, I always think that um, um, the other impact you'll see is uh, there's a bit of a, uh, uh, this is again um, uh, going back into I mean I don't know how many of uh, your your audience would have read uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, but uh, there was a context called Babel Fish, right? Babel Fish was the universal translator. So they had imagined a device uh, called the Babel Fish, and essentially they used the Babel Fish to talk to aliens everywhere around the world. And they imagined that this device could exist in the future, but it was a very hard device. So technically, a Babel Fish can exist now because it's possible to create, and, and to some extent, it already is there in some form and shape, right? Google Translate started doing it, but with, with with transform models, that's changing. That means suddenly you can now consume information which is not necessarily only in your language, but also in other languages, which is a brilliant assimilation of knowledge truly at the global scale, right? Which So those barriers are breaking so quickly thanks to this. Now you have wikis, which you have the entire Wikipedia in English that can be translated in a more sensible way in most yeah. languages. Right? And that's, I think, a huge transformation, set, including for search and how people are consuming information. So I think these are the elements where I think you're seeing a huge impact. I can go on and on, but I'm just highlighting a couple of them, which I think is transformational for the society at this point. Okay, cool. And what would you say would be, um, I guess, a little bit more of a practical application of AI when it comes to improving a search result? Like if you had to give a couple of applications or examples, what would they be? So... I think the biggest one is um, you can actually search in a natural language. I know it seems like, oh, but it always existed. That's not true. Nat langu natural language search in in the form and shape that's been there for the past few years. It firstly didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. In the past five or seven years, uh, nat natural language search that has existed have been existing from the search system looking at your question and then trying to understand what are the different keywords or entities this question is talking about, and then still doing a very traditional search on it, right? Of course, it would bring back the results and then find out which one is a relevant result. Versus now, the data itself, when it is indexed in the search platforms and search tech, we actually generate something called embeddings, which means we understand the vectoral representation of the data and we semantically understand what this data is about, even when it's indexed. So when you really ask a question, the question can be semantically be understood by the indexing system and extracted versus it being a more like a patchwork, right? And it, this seems like a small shift, but it's a massive shift because suddenly the system is understanding uh, the question rather than understand uh, understanding the question and what is the right answer rather than just understanding the question 
and then trying to figure out a keyword match around the whole system, right? So I think that's a huge shift that uh, that you'll see. And this small shift is important because things like, for example, searching in legal, like for example, court cases or searching for medical related dense uh, subject areas was always very hard because just because you have some keywords there does not mean it's the right translation of the question into what's actually written in the text there, right? And I think those are the key uh, huge shifts we're going to actually start seeing where you have semantics being part of it. The second part is search is going to be a lot more multimodal, right? So while you a lot of us see things like Midjourney and Dali, and we talk about generative AI in terms of um, you know generating images and and fakes, for example, deep fakes, for example. But the positive side of that is also that you can actually use now multimodal to search in a more meaningful way. Uh, earlier, there were image searches out there, but image searches were looking for lookalikes. So they were looking for, oh, this is an image of X. Let me find you a similar looking image. Whereas now, the system can understand what the image is, what does the context is, what is in the image, and then help you find either text-based results or image-based results or video-based results. That's a, another big shift, which was very hard to do in the past, and it wasn't very accurate which is also why image search companies uh, for the longest time kind of trail behind. And those are some big shifts you will actually start seeing in the coming few years. I think it's definitely already being seen quite a lot, especially when you look at, um, you know, the way Midjourney or Dali are, are, are working. Um, you know, those are two just very, I guess, some degree generic and basic examples in what we see now. But we also see how they, not just with search, but we see how they are transforming other landscapes or verticals in their own right. For example, digital arts was still a thing where you do it with your hand before. Yeah. Now you're actually getting an AI to, to build that for you, to do that for you itself, right? Yeah. And yeah. the way it transforms things is, is very interesting because like you mentioned, sometimes you might be looking for a comparison. Yeah. Now it's becoming a lot more accessible for someone to not come up and look for a comparison, but make yeah. their own on the fly. Yeah. using an example that already exists, so, you know? So two elements of it, right? One is you first figure out how do you actually find the right information and, and how do you yeah. assimilate it together, right? That's one part of the problem that uh, Transformers are the entire new evolution of uh, what I'd call the AI stack is doing. The second one that you just alluded to or uh, spoke about was about generative, where you're creating new information, Right. That means you are consumed a lot of knowledge, a lot of content, a lot of information, and you're generating something that didn't technically didn't exist, but argument uh, argumentative at this point because some people will believe there's no true generative because everything is a fusion of something that existed before. But 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 in a truest sense, generative because uh, it gives you content. Um, which technically doesn't exist and why, word to what is a text, right? It is still thinking. So two elements, right? So these are two different phenomena, but very strong phenomena happening at the same time, leveraging the same set of, uh, same stack of technology, right? And both of them are benefiting from each other. So for generative can benefit from information retrieval advancements, same way information retrieval advancements uh, benefit from generative. And a good example for that is text summarization, right? So when you see a search result and you want to summarize it, then you use generative tech to actually summarize. It. So I think that's that's the beauty about this new new space that we are operating in. Yeah, and I wanna I wanna move things a little bit into I guess the limitations of this, right? So what would you say are actually the limitations of AI enabled search technologies right now? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the most obvious one that everyone talks about is uh, about, you know, information uh, can be inaccurate at times. Um, what people call hallucination, for example. Uh, but a lot of those limitations, at least when it comes to vertical focus technologies, they are resolving that as you go along, right? This is, uh, to me, a lot of these are uh, uh, just... Um, limitation of the or, or or the fact that a lot of these technologies still very nascent in some form and shape right and needs a lot more hardening uh, which is just a question of time uh, the second thing is of course it's expensive from a compute standpoint it is still is um, creating uh, generating queries or responding to queries in generative AI model is of course more expensive than traditional models, but but um, and same way uh, information retrieval that's using vectoral retrieval system versus more traditional retrieval systems are more expensive as well to run. So there is a cost element to it, um, which makes sometimes um, some of it inaccessible for people. Uh, I think the third part about uh, third part about it is. Um, and 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 this part is a little controversial, right? Which is, um, who has the right, and how do you structure this new world around building models from other people's data, right, or public data? And how do you find a conducive or a more um, a fair environment for everyone to operate in, right? I see this as a limitation because, um, of course, none of these models can be built without data, right? And more data is 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 needed uh, if you want to make these models better over a period of time, right? So there's an there's an element of, of course, things as scientists uh, uh, we can do to build better models, but then there's some element of it which is just completely driven by the quality of data that we can pull in, right? And that means there's a need to create a new system or setup that allows for a fair, amicable trade or exchange of data, so that people get. Uh, so people who are creating this uh, information content, uh, creating this text, uh, get the fair um, uh, fair reward or, or let's just say, um, uh, um, are correctly cited and on the list, right? So there, there are these other challenges that are coming in, which people never thought about. Right? And I was kind of also, yeah. I pointed it out around the, the statement which I made around which people feel that the public web has challenges, right, in growing in the future. So I think that's the other element where I see uh, there are a few elements, which is, of course, to do with learning how to ask the right questions. But again, these are things that are just question of time, right? Uh, some of it, the models itself will evolve to take a lot more, uh, let's just say, non-prompt like questions and then still answer them correctly. And then at some point, people will learn how to you know, interact, just like how people learned to use Google because it took some training before you could find the right way to actually Google as well, right? Uh, and I think that's just, again, a period of time. So most of these, I feel, are things that will get resolved in the future. Um, and, uh, of course, there's there's limitation to this every tech in, in from a conceptual standpoint as well, right? Generative AI has its own overall limitation of what it can do or cannot do, mostly in the terms of um, what kind of data it can actually process. There are also people are only also seeing some limitations in terms of increasing their token sizes, like uh, more tokens. Like uh, the token size have already hit a trillion tokens for GPT-4, if I'm not wrong. And um, the incremental uh, improvement to the responses is not actually that high. So 
you're already hitting some of the limits of what some of these models can do. But again, early days, um, who knows? A lot of these could actually be resolved by maybe more more staggering uh, advancements people will do in the space. I think when you look at the basic examples, um, you know, you look at, for example, the basic use use cases of you know, ChatGPT, Googlebot, and all of those different different platforms that I guess have, have been appealing. You mentioned GPT-4, it's not nearly as much of an improvement as to what the 3 was, right? In terms of the level of accuracy. It's there for sure, but not nearly as much. But I think with the integrations of different things, different aspects of search, you definitely will find it. And like you said, it's just going to be a matter of time, really. Right now, we're still at very early stages for all of this. Absolutely. I think a lot of it will depend. So currently, if you think about a lot of these models have been being, were being built in a more sandbox environment. What I mean by sandbox means that the input to this models were uh, limited or restricted, right? So uh, as a matter of fact, somebody, I've read this somewhere that OpenAI's um, GPT 3.5 or 4 was built only on 45 terabytes of data, right? Which when you look at the whole web, it's pretty tiny little drop in the yeah. ocean. Even when you look at a Google index for that matter. Now, that's and, and there are many reasons to go why it is like this and this talk will become too technical if I go into it. But more importantly, I think when some of that limitations around what kind of information can be brought in to do fine-tuning or transfer learning training, um, we could potentially see a lot more advancements. But again, you know, um, and, and this is where the thesis around specialized domains or specialized search could actually do a better job is that by not um, by fo by focusing instead on creating specialized search for specialized needs you could actually see a lot more impact from these models than trying to be uh, generalized i think the concept about creating agi or uh, is is to me still very early or trying to force gpt to become uh, open ai or entropic or whichever to become an agi like model i think is very very early uh, rather, you'll see more and more of these becoming more industry-specific, solution-specific, and you'll have ChatGPT for X and Y and Z for 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 uh, different use cases, which you will see being a lot more accurate for your particular domain than you would find in, let's say, generalized uh, GPT or um, Anantropic. Okay. The next part of this, this discussion takes us towards, you know, the search function where you use your voice, voice search, Right. Um, or anything that's a bit more of a conversational interface, right? So obviously there's a lot of rise when it comes to doing all of this. You know, you see it a lot with Google Assistant, Bixby, as such, right? As well as chatbots, to be fair. How are these technologies actually changing the way that we interact with information on a daily basis? So this is very fascinating. I mean, for me as well, um, because um, I've been I've been using uh, voice based chatbots and voice-based search for some time, at least since Siri came around, right? And uh, then we had Alexa and then Google Assistant. Um, but one of the things that we all would have noticed is that they were fairly simplistic in the way they processed information, right? Uh, it took a while for them to even understand accents. It took a while for them to understand uh, understand the semantics of the questions we were asking, or even um, uh, sometimes the context of the question we were asking. So, the unless we, they were doing very simple tasks, 
um, you would find most or all of these voice-based chatbots um, completely inept at at what they were doing. Uh, and of course, we all have seen frustration videos on YouTube around the interactions with some of these chatbots. Now, what's changed? So two things have changed. Um, I think, again, the beauty about uh, the the transformer models is that uh, they can be applied um, just as well as you can with text. You can apply to videos as well as voice as well. As a matter of fact, voice largely emanates as a combination of text and media. So um, what what's happened is that there's a big shift in uh, just understanding um, the semantics of what people are talking and asking for uh, thanks to these transform models. And now you overlay with a more superior voice transcription system, again, built on some of these transform models. What you get in effect is an ability to respond in a more human-like way than you ever had before. As a matter of fact, if, uh, some of us have also looked at things like Alexa and Google Assistant and to build um, in, um, connectivity integrations like home connectivity, etc. If you even look at their programming models, they were very rule-based and very simple simple in that sense. Whereas um, what's happened now is that uh, thanks to the new changes advancements, uh, you can actually fully leverage uh, the ability to understand uh, content, but not only um, restricted to the information you have in your own systems, but you can, of course, access more larger databases, like, for example, chat GPT, OpenAI per se, or even Google for that matter. So now that is the interesting shift that's happened, right? And uh, you'd see this, and and if we and, and one simple way to observe this, even if we don't interact with the new age voice search systems, is to look at our the voice transcription, which are based on transform models. Um, like, for, for example, this particular podcast, if you look at voice transcription, um, you look at voice transcription of uh, systems that OpenAI offers, like Whisper, for example, uh, they are far more superior and legible in how they actually convert. They can also understand punctuations. They understand where the stops are. They can remove, you know, basic sense of, any kind of uh, noise, what you think was in the in the in the in the sentence itself, that's way more powerful than any voice tech that was there before. So now, once you have that, and you have the other set of advancement that we just spoke about in search, it's a it's a brilliant combination. It opens up entire space of how to think about multimodal in future. Okay, right, and we we can go into our, our, our last point here. I'm sure we can keep talking about this for for a long time because it is quite a broad topic. And I mean, we haven't really gone too specific into the whole gaming aspect of things. I think that could definitely be a second topic here. But if we were to move into this final thought on the emerging trends that we see, if you can give give your your thoughts on this on a generic side, but also on a gaming side, right? What do you see as some of the most exciting and disruptive trends in the future of search? So I think uh, two of them that I would add, and this is again. Um, a little biased because um, Explore is um, uh, is is working on some of these areas ourselves. But I, two definite ones that stand out is uh, the evolution of uh, uh, contextual search using hybrid search models. What this means is, before the the world was a little bit more 
bifurcated between a more keyword based search tag and then you had semantic tag which needed a whole different engine um and 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 a little bit of that is where we were talking about vectoral search tag now what's happened is that more and more of this is getting combined together that means you can get the power of using more semantic led uh, search technologies but also the depth or or the scale that you can do with keyword search and and of course the cost as well and and that is is brilliant because now you can actually uh, leverage these search technologies not only i mean it's not it's not restricted only to to the big tech companies but enterprises and companies can actually adopt this themselves and it's is growing quite massively so i think that is one big area and you'll see the the search results coming out from these tech to be way more um uh, um way, way more relevant and of course a lot of them can actually personalize the results as well very well uh which brings a big big impact for users in general so your your experience with search uh, in in most of the devices as well as platforms uh should improve as more and more companies start adopting this tech and the second part about this the second part is is very interesting and this is again um uh, to some extent thanks to uh, all the work that um openia and companies like them have done uh is uh, the search is conversational when i say conversational search i don't mean it's a chatbot what i mean by conversational search is that the search is stateful the search understands the context you are in and how you are searching based on your search queries that are happening successively search had always been stateless that means every time you put a question the engine thought of it as a question and tried to answer the question in the best possible way but now stateful search allows the search engine to remember the train of thought that you are actually going with and how you want to improve your results and then give you better results each time you ask questions and that's actually a big shift as well in in the way search tech actually works so when you combine these two factors around contextual search using hybrid search models and and conversational or stateful search i think it brings a immense new improvement in the way people are actually going to be consuming search in the future so uh and this again i can weave it and i can and i can extend this to also and this of course applies to gaming and and many other verticals to to be fair and uh, some of these elements are also very relevant when we think about uh multimodal as well that means it's not just about text but bring this also to other medium so that actually just amplifies the impact of what these two tech can actually do great great thank you so much i mean honestly i'll be i'll be very honest this this can definitely go into a much much more uh technical topic where we can talk about how nlp is going further transform models how they end up switching things up a lot more and of course your your uh machine learning with uh llms as well right but i think for now we'll keep it where where it is okay there's a lot more that i actually want to learn about on this topic when it comes to the gaming side in particular especially cuz i am a gamer i'm i'm basically a child at heart when it comes to this so if there is anything that's going to help me out when i'm struggling i i definitely love to know about it um but thank you again beyond for joining us on our podcast today and for the rest of you who might be listening back at home at work or even on the go thank you for tuning in and staying with us this far we hope to all catch and catch you all again on our next episode on the evolution exchange goodbye